That's another episode of Pod 9 from Outer Space. Cue the music! So, this week was my turn. I picked one of my absolute favourite films, 1955's Tarantula. Does what it says on the spider. Yeah. It's a film from the 50s called Tarantula. And there's a giant spider. Approximately the size of a skyscraper. A short one, but a skyscraper. Yeah. Medium rise buildings. Yeah. Or maybe a nice three floor semi detached. So the basic concept is in order to stop the world running out of food. This scientist, um, Deemer, um, and his colleague Hastings are injecting a mysterious serum which contains isotopes into animals to see if it can make them get big fast. So in the background of one shot we just have a guinea pig the size of a dog, which is great, and I want to cuddle it. But, um, sorry, Hastings is a different doctor. There's a lot of doctors. Too many doctors. Jacobs is the colleague. Spoiler broth. Who ends up having some of the serum himself, which makes him go all strange. And he attacks the marrow and lets loose a tarantula which is currently the size of maybe a large dog, like a Great Dane. Yeah. Very quickly becomes 100 feet tall. It happens. That's the the basic plot. Yeah. And then Clint Eastwood comes in in a fighter plane and blows it up. Yay. Uh, I like that as as a final thing, just, well, how do we deal with this? I don't know, some unrelated... People come in and sort it out. Well, they're not unrelated. Like, the it's causing like infrastructure problems, so the government comes in and bombs it. Yeah, I, I know, but that's not what I mean. Is that's not a that's not really a story. It's like yes, that would I expect that would happen. It's there's not the characters doing something. It's oh. That's the, very true. The events have reached their logical conclusion. It's, and then the problem is dealt with. Yes. It was happening until it wasn't the end. Or is it? It is. We bombed it. Yeah, they didn't do a the end question mark or anything like that. It's just the end as you watch this burning spider corpse. Yeah. You'll be glad to know the spider was unharmed. And went on to star in The Incredible Shrinking Man. That's range. Playing a tarantula and a shrinking man. Let's go with that. That's more interesting. Than played a big spider and a regular sized spider. See, I have... I have a theory. That, um... But actually, 
it is a entirely normal sized spider and the shrinking man was just no I don't have a theory ignore me no it plays a normal sized spider in the incredible shrinking man okay that menaces the, the tiny man yeah I got nothing sadly the spider is not credited so we don't know we don't know the spider's name Georg But we do know um, Mara Corday's name, who, as usual for the women in these films, carries the whole thing. Mm. She plays a master's student. Master's in what? We're not quite sure. Something biology related, probably. Um, who is hired as a lab assistant after the quote-unquote mysterious death of one of the scientists. And also as a living cook and housekeeper because it is the 50s. Yeah. But, yeah, there's this whole thing where she's giving a tour of the lab to um, a simple country doctor from the town of Desert Rock. Um, and the scientist is furious at her. It's like, this is a secret. He did not tell her she, that it was a secret. And has also talked to random townies about it. So how was she supposed to know? It's a good question. Honestly, biggest plot hole of the whole thing. Yeah, if you if you're gonna have somebody do confidential stuff, get an NDA signed, or at the very least say this is confidential. Yeah, I mean, maybe establish some kind of oral. Contracts by saying, Psst, you want to know a secret? <laughs> that is a good way to establish that something's secret, to be fair. Yeah. Hey, kid, kid, you want to see my rancho? <laughs> That's the fun part, though, is she does not know about the translator until it starts wrecking stuff mm. because it escapes during the fight before she was hired. Yeah. But I do feel like I'm going to get into a bit of RTGR here. Um, Rude's gritty realism. Yeah. But I feel like it would be a lot easier to track the tarantula in real life. Because when tarantulas grow, they shed like a snake does. So you just have this trail of gradually larger and larger rancho skins yeah. all through the town in the desert. I, that would be entertaining. Just a lot of people just trying to get them off their cars, getting out the ice scraper, getting some. Or it just it sheds, and this whole like hundred foot tall tarantula skin just falls on someone's house. Yep. Oh, we got new drapes, Peter. You could turn it into a puppet and distract the tarantula with it. Like, oh, it's a ghost tarantula. See, now that, I I like the logic. Because the thing is, again, that would be an actual conclusion to the story yeah. where they decide to to try something against this creature. But, but no, we gotta got to bring in the... We, you know we instead I mean? have the sheriff 
calls the Air Force and they immediately send four jets as opposed to going, hey, this drunk um, country sheriff just phoned us. Yeah. You'll never guess what this guy just said. Never guess. And then they shoot napalm at the tarantula. Naturally. Because it's not just a missile. It's napalm. Hello, I'm Mod... I'm Mod Paper from Probably Bad RPG Ideas, and we have a podcast. If you'd like to hear RPG advice on how to use assorted incredibly bad ideas as actual ideas in an actual game, then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, available on pretty much every podcatcher. And remember to have a probably bad day. Hi, I'm Hazel, and I make a podcast with Liz called Bread and Thread, which you might enjoy if you are a fan of food or clothes, or other interesting parts of domestic history. We find out interesting facts about things like regional foods, ancient breeds of sheep, um, pretty much anything domestic history. So if you'd like to know why it's illegal to import a sheep into Iceland, and what was presented by Queen Victoria to Harriet Tubman, then you might want to check out Bread and Thread. Find us at Bread and Thread on Twitter, or find us. I said one of those pilots is Clint Eastwood. I did say that this was his first film role. Technically not true, but in my defense, he was in four films that came out in 1955. There was Tarantula, Lady Godiva of Coventry, <laughs> Francis in the Navy, which is a Donald O'Connor film, which sounds great which is his first credited role, and his actual first screen appearance, Revenge of the Creature, a sequel to Creature from the Black Lagoon. Amazing. The only 3D film released in 1955. Oh boy. And he played a lab assistant called Jennings, who thinks that a a cat ate a lab rat but then finds the rat in his pocket and that is his first screen appearance in this one he says a line that's basically okay we're gonna drop the bombs now yeah fun fact though um mara corday actually appears in minor roles in a couple of clint eastwood films towards the end of her career huh they kind of come apart as one's going up and one's going down and then they come back together at the end. Interesting. Which is quite nice, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a lot about this film I enjoyed. I really liked the leads. Mm. The the simple country doctor, that's always good. Um, there is a, I feel like there is a distinctive formula for these kind of things that's quite useful you you know it's got to be somewhere kind of new mexico or arizona or like near enough california but the more deserty bits yeah this is um set in arizona yeah you know although filmed in california obviously i've been thinking about some of the reasons for that kind of that kind of setting like um new, new mexico arizona nevada and a couple of things spring to mind, so like Area 51 means people have that association with that with that corner 
of the country and weird stuff. Plus, of course, um, Roswell, New Mexico. It's it's a fertile ground for making lots of weird stuff happen. And the landscape, of course, is amazing. Because you can go out there, you can film something set in America, set in Mexico, set on Mars, and you just use the same same patch of ground because it's just yeah such a... the specific area of desert um apple valley california mm. is and dead man's point in california are used in a lot of early western films including a lot of Clint Eastwood's like sort of big career making stuff nice yeah the locations really helped to make it work for me because mm. I, th- I think if you had it into urban and developed a setting, then the holes and the effects would really show through. Because obviously, when they're showing the tarantula, it's not really a big tarantula. It's um, that's a regular sized tarantula. Yeah, they've they've either put it amongst sort of a dollhouse size set or um, just taken footage of it and blown that up and um, yeah there's a lot of it was done again with matte paintings yeah i feel like we're going to talk about matte paintings a lot but the ones in this one i could not tell when we were shifting from actual scenery to matte paintings yeah that was very impressive like every effect in this is very impressive yeah not just for the time i think that was i think that was great because i think if if you had it moving against um more rigid structures then it would have shown more but as it was moving behind hills and around the the general landscape it was harder to to see the joint so to speak yeah i mean this is the problem with a lot of sort of person is big films like uh the 50-foot woman has this problem Mm. which i'm sure we will watch for this at some point yes but because it's suburban it's a lot more obvious that there isn't actually a giant woman walking around yeah as, as Coleridge says you've got to have suspension of disbelief I mean I, I believe he sat in the cinema watched it and went she's not really coming to eat me is she oh shucks <laughs> Who knows what he was into. I do like, though, that the main motivation for making Tarantula um, was, quote, we decided to do this film because generally people are very afraid of spiders. Yeah. That is a quote from Jack Arnold, the director, and he's he's listed as story by. So it's his idea... And he filmed it, but he didn't write it. Yeah. But he's, yeah, he's the one that decided to make a film about a giant spider. Yeah. I I do appreciate having that kind of director writer relationship. I I can definitely because that means you're working with somebody who just has general visual ideas and then says. Can you help me out with this? Yeah. 
props to Robert M. Fresco and Martin Berkeley. I don't know why that's just such a funny name to me. What, Berkeley? No, no, um, R- Robert Fresco. Robert Fresco. Was... Fresh Bob. Yeah. Gotta love Fresh Bob. Fresh Bob, you done good. Oh, Fresh Bob, you've done it again. Has he done anything else, actually? It's, uh... Um, only a few, but they're they're definitely in a similar sort of vein. Okay. Um, the Monolith Monsters, the Alligator People, Space Invasion of Lapland. Oh boy! And then one serious film and one documentary about the Russian invasion of Czechoslovakia. I, I like Those that. Those are his six films. I I absolutely love it when um someone in the film industry has a particular thing but then they will just absolutely veer off and then do just one thing that's such an outlier i would love to know what he did with the rest of the time because he basically he wrote the bad films Hmm. in the 50s and then the two good well i don't know if they're good but the two serious films in the late 60s and then nothing else until he died in 2014. I wish to know of your life, Fresh Bob. Well, wasn't the way that um, the big studios used to operate in them olden days was a lot more um, kind of keeping people on a, on a retainer. There was a, a typing pool of disillusioned young men just churning stuff out. Oh, sure, but still, what did he do the rest of the time? I think he was trying to write. What did he do between 1969 and 2014? If you know, tell me. All all I'm getting from IMDb is that he's a Libra. It's not hugely helpful. Oh, here we go. He taught film, television, and communications. Okay, yeah, that explains that. If if you've been taught by this guy, let us know. <laughs> what lessons did you learn? How many how many um, spiders did you see? Were you ever crushed by aliens or crocodiles or alligators? Yeah, don't be silly. But um, yeah, prop, props to everyone, especially the props department. Double props to them. <laughs> prop props. Yeah, prop props. Gotta give them prop props. I do wish I could find out who made the map paintings though. Because I've said before, I just want a collection of map paintings from B-movies. Yeah, they're, they're tremendous. They really are. I, I enjoyed uh, the music as well. It was very traditional. Um, yeah, some of it was kind of reminiscent of Jaws at times. I had a little two-note chromatic pattern. Thingy. Yeah, I did enjoy that, and I like some of the most. Which for the layman is, Da-da. yeah. Um, I I liked some of the bigger sweeping moments. It had a kind of Eric Corngold vibe, which, um, if you're not familiar, that's kind of like properly Errol Flynn kind of era uh, pirate films and and Robin Hood stuff, that kind of thing, where the conventions of doing a big, full score were established. Now, I don't know about how this particular score was 
created a lot of B-movies. We do know it was written by Herman Stein. Yeah. I feel like we should credit him because the film didn't. Yeah. I I feel like there is is a possibility that um, in a lot of these films that they kind of pick out of the library of stuff they've got ready. Like, ah, I recorded this this bunch of stuff. Would you like some, some of these phrases? In my little music. No, this guy was a like proper composer. He wrote music specifically for different films. Okay, that's good. Including King Kong vs. Godzilla and the sixties TV series Lost in Space. Awesome. That's some that's some good credits. Great credits actually. Like T V show stuff here. Yeah. I mean American um T V shows having such a big budget really meant they could get a lot done with the music because i remember doctor who in a similar era was a hell of a lot of archived um archive pieces mm. so well, well done you good job Stein. i'm proud of you good job yeah some I'd say if it had a different ending, this would be up there. Specifically, the puppet skin ending. Yes, give it the puppet skin ending, and it's the best film. But um, as they elected to not go that route, I'd say it was an enjoyable little ride that clatters and bounces along for its eighty minutes and then departs from our lives. But where does it fit? on the camp scale okay on the camp scale i'd say it's it's a little above above average i'd say i feel like it get it gets a point for hey isn't that nice at all yeah it's bad science of go-go is what that is mm. we didn't even get into so much of the bad science no we really, we really didn't including Ah, well, you see, you don't die of acromegaly. You die of the symptoms. Yeah. Which isn't... Which, considering acromegaly itself is a syndrome rather than a disease, like it's a collection of symptoms. Yeah, you're, you're technically correct. But... But also not. Yeah. Let me just draw this semantic distinction that may make me sound more smart to the layman. Because I'm a simple country doctor and I'm very insecure about this. I want him to meet a nice simple country lawyer and settle down. Mm, start a simple country family. Yeah. And then maybe they can have some children, like a simple country astronaut. A simple country farmer. And a simple school and a simple country schoolman. All the professions. Yeah. So on the camp scale, we're saying a simple country five man tent. Yes. It's glamping. <laughs> what did you learn from Tarantula? Personally, I learned that if there's a problem that you're not sure how to solve, just call the Air Force and they'll attack it. Yeah. Just call the Air Force and they'll attack it with napalm. I learned that 
if you keep on injecting animals with a special serum, they will stop looking like themselves and start looking like larger versions of themselves that were superimposed onto a different strip of film. That's the knowledge. Is the forbidden knowledge. But I've got it. What are we watching next time? That is a very, very good question. I think that this was your pick, wasn't it? It was. Okay. I think maybe... I'm fancying maybe ZPG or No Blade of Grass, which is some post-apocalyptic narratives for this trying time. Now more than ever, I want to watch some bad films.